me home. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the San Juan Snowcast. I'm your host, Chris, and today is Thursday, February 16th, 2023. Well, 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 what a storm. After weeks of low avalanche danger and mild weather, we got hit on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week with a double whammy set of storms that delivered a healthy dose of snowfall to the San Juan Mountains. It brought us back to high avalanche danger with a multi-day avalanche warning in effect from the CAIC, and wowee, things got interesting again. So, on this week's show, we're just going to dive right into all of that and keep it short and sweet. There's a bunch of new snow out there, and things are a bit spicy again. So, step outside if you need to cool down, because this winter is once again firing, and because the snowcast starts now. Well, folks, we're now more than halfway through February, and after a short dry spell, we're back in the flow of storms. Let's start things off with a weather recap. The last three days brought continuous snowfall, and here on Thursday morning, it is blue to the bird out there, and the storm has officially ended. Temperatures got super cold last night, dropping as low as negative 23 degrees Fahrenheit at the Silverton CDOT weather station. But things are going to slowly warm up today as the sun pops and temperatures should rise into the teens. But overall, it'll be a cold and clear day out there today on Thursday. And boy, did the mountains look good. This snow came in on Monday with temperatures hovering around the freezing mark, which meant it was pretty wet and it bonded well to most of the surfaces it fell on, clinging to steep rocky slopes and building some nice pillows on the trees. But then, throughout the storm, the temperatures got colder and colder which usually means a right-side-up snowfall, with heavier and denser snow on the bottom and light, fluffy snow on top. We like that. But for some reason, when I went out skiing yesterday, the surface snow was kind of thick and dense, because maybe the sun popped out for a few hours yesterday morning, and that may have had an effect on it. But all the new snow, at least in the area I was skiing, kind of felt right-side-up and then upside-down, with lighter, fluffy snow sandwiched between two denser layers. So we're going to have to see what that does over the next few days. Sounds like this wasn't the case everywhere in the Wands, with some people experiencing really light, blower, low-density snow down near Purgatory in the southern San Juans. But I did have one friend find similar snow in a nearby zone in the north San Juans, where they described the snow as thick and cream cheesy. So, during the storm, we also had strong southwest winds on Tuesday afternoon, and that definitely did some damage in the Alpine. But since Wednesday morning, the winds have been a little more calm and we're just starting to see some ridgetop winds blowing snow around on the ridgetops this morning. It looks like out of the northeast. So who got the most snow out of the storm? Well, let's run the numbers. All right. So looking at the weather station data, which is publicly available on the CAIC website, I crunched some numbers and I have some rough snow totals from the storm starting on Monday and going through Wednesday night. I'll take you from the smallest storm totals to the biggest winners, and I'll give you one major headline. Wolf Creek actually did not get the most out of this storm. Hmm. So kicking it off, we're going to start with the lower end totals. Mollus Pass and the Mollus Lake area got around 17 inches. So did Lizardhead Pass with 17 inches. Red Mountain Pass clocked in at 20 inches of new snow. 
Wolf Creek had 26 inches of new snow. Columbus Basin, which is in the La Platas, just northwest of Durango, had 28 inches of snow. The Spud Mountain Weather Station, which is situated near Colbank Pass, had 30 inches of new snow. And lastly, the big winner, Cascade Number 2, which is a little old weather station just at 9,000 feet, located right where the Cascade Creek hits Highway 550, you know, just north of Purgatory Ski Area. Well, Cascade Number 2 got 37 inches of snow in the last three days. And that's the most snowfall in the entire state from this storm. And it's hard to believe because this weather station is low elevation at only 9,000 feet. But what's even crazier is that from 2 p.m. on Tuesday to 7 a.m. on Wednesday, in just an 18-hour period, the Cascade Number 2 weather station got 23 inches of snow and 1.6 inches of snow water equivalent, which is a 14 to 1 snow to liquid ratio, which is actually pretty light density snowfall. Since the height of snow peaked at 56 inches at the Cascade Number 2 station, there's already been 6 inches of settlement in the last 24 hours, which means that that low-density, fluffy snow is starting to compress and shrink in height. And we track this settlement because it's an indicator that that new, fresh pal is consolidating and could become a more cohesive storm slab problem layer. But anyways, 2 feet of snow in 18 hours is pretty darn heavy snowfall for us here in the Wands. And I bet that was a pretty awesome time to be working, living, or playing in the greater Purgatory area. When all was said and done, Purgatory claimed a 33-inch storm total on the ski area, and the skiing on Wednesday over there looked pretty epic. It's always awesome when a storm just seems to get stuck on some part of the San Juans. Prime candidates for this phenomena of intense snowfall are places in our mountains where storms get funneled into tight canyons, and the geography creates orographic lifting, pushing the storm upward in the atmosphere where it hits colder air and wrings out even more moisture in the form of snowfall. Now, this happens pretty often in the Wands, and it kind of all depends on the flow of the storm. When we have that northerly flow, sometimes the storm can get stuck in the Ure Gorge and produce huge snow totals in a short period of time. I've talked about that before. It's often referred to as a gorge event. And similar things can happen in the Cement Creek drainage outside of Silverton, and now, apparently, in the gap between Grey Rock Peak and the peaks southeast of Rico and the Twilight Group to the east. Now, my theory is the south-southeasterly storm track pushed this storm energy right up the Animus River until it smacked right into these peaks north and east of Purgatory, where orographics took over, producing rapid and intense snowfall. Just a theory, but, you know, maybe... If anybody has any better theories or know why these mythical dumps tend to happen, please let me know. Either way, it is so cool to see such intense storm totals in such a short period of time. You know, that's normal for places like Jackson and Japan, but in the Wands, it's kind of special. So, where does this leave the state of the snowpack? Well, looking at the snow water equivalent totals for the river basins of the San Juans, we are currently sitting at 135% of our 30-year average snowpack. And what's even cooler is that we've already, with this last storm, surpassed our 30-year average peak snowpack, which is 17.5 inches of snow water equivalent, and our current snowpack has just cusped over that and is now pushing 18 inches of SWE. And that's freaking rad. You know, peak snowpack for the San Juans on average, it occurs around the beginning of April, and it peaks at 17 and a half inches of sweet. So we're already a little over a month ahead of schedule. Let's go. 
Diving into the individual river basins, the numbers get even wilder. Because the Dolores River Basin is at 149% of its 30-year average, and the San Miguel Basin is at 159% of average. Hopefully, that translates to high in-stream flows for the spring and healthy ecosystems in these river basins. But all in all, the snowpack is still rocking it this year. And in terms of snowfall, this is the best winter so far since 2016-2017. But with all this new weight added to the top of the pack, we've got avalanche problems, folks. Because prior to the new snow, we had prime conditions for weak surface development, with several days of cold and clear weather. This created the usual mixed bag of crusts, near-surface facets, and possibly even surface hoar that could now be lurking under this huge new slab of snow. Now, whenever we get 10 or more inches of new snow, we call that a storm slab. And did you know that most human-involved avalanche incidents occur either during or within 24 hours after a storm? Yeah. Honestly, one of the best risk management tools you can use in the backcountry is actually just waiting for a day or two after the storm for all that new snow to settle, and that's because storm slab instabilities, they usually heal over time. That means that after a few days or even hours, the new snow has had time to bond to the old snow interface and reactivity at that interface starts to decrease. However, when the storm slab falls onto the top of persistent wheat grains, it may eventually evolve into a new persistent slab problem. And this can happen over the course of several days as the new snow settles into a more cohesive slab while the wheat grains keep on persisting underneath. So while we're currently dealing with a storm slab at all elevations and aspects, it could definitely transform into a new persistent slab problem right near the top of the pack, which would be a bummer. And the only way to tell if this is going to happen is to get out there and poke around. You know, this is a great time of the season for hand shears. Yep, hand shears. It's a non-standardized snow test. And anytime we have surface instabilities like storm slabs, this is an awesome test to glean a few pieces of valuable information. First, how cohesive is the new snow? And second, does it slide easily on the surface it landed on? So let's talk about how you do a hand shear test. And first off, I'll explain this is not a standardized snow test because we're not going to get any quantitative score or results from this test, but it does give you some good qualitative information. So as you're climbing up a skin track, or maybe you're traversing a side hill, find a nice piece of unaffected snow uphill from the track. And essentially what we're trying to do with a hand shear is we're trying to isolate a 30 centimeter by 30 centimeter column in the new snow and apply some shear force to the back of it, pulling downhill with your hand. So to do this, to isolate the column, first you want to dig a little hand pit. So I stab my poles in the snow, use my hand, my gloved hands, and dig down a little bit, revealing a clean test wall. And that we want to be like perpendicular to the fall line of the slope. Then I grab one of my poles, and I use it to make two vertical slices into this wall, 30 centimeters apart from each other, and I want to make sure that I cut deep enough to get below the old snow, new snow interface, that interface we're trying to target. Then I take my pole and I orient it kind of up and down, swiping it back and forth to cut the back of the column. You should now have a square column with three sides that are cut by your pole and one side that is completely exposed facing you. Then all you got to do is put your hand flat against the uphill side of the column and begin to gently pull the column downhill back towards you. Now you're looking to see, does the new snow hold its form and move cohesively as a slab? Or does it slide easily on the new snow, old snow interface? 
Does it fall apart in your hands or can you hold it? And if it does slide easily on that interface, look at the interface. What does it look like? Was it a planar break or was it more kind of rugged and broken? The hand shear test can quickly tell you if a storm slab is gaining cohesion and if it's likely to easily slide on what it landed on. Now, the beauty of this test is they can do it in less than two minutes, and you can do a bunch of these as you move through the terrain. Maybe at lower elevations, the storm snow just kind of breaks apart and has no cohesion, but as you move higher and continue to do hand shears, you want to think about how the influence of wind can thicken that storm snow, and maybe as you crest treeline, you suddenly find that the hand shear reveals a more cohesive slab that is popping on the old snow new snow interface. Hmm. That might be a sign to head back down to the land of light and fluffy pow. Now, hand pits and hand shears are on-the-fly snowpack observations that can help you get more information about surface instabilities. You know, we like to say, while a snow pit gives you a lot of information about one specific spot, these on-the-fly observations can give you a little information about a bunch of different places in the terrain. So pairing these observations with probing for snowpack depths and layering with your ski pole can give you quite a bit of information without ever having to bust out your probe or your shovel. And that means less time standing around in the snow and more time moving through the terrain and hopefully skiing. So try to incorporate some of these non-standardized tests on your next tour. There's a bunch of great YouTube videos out there showing you how. And to bring it back to our avalanche problems, we are at high avalanche danger near and above treeline and considerable below treeline across the entire San Juans. For avalanche problems, we've got the storm slab, which will likely come off of the forecast in the next day or two as it kind of becomes our new persistent slab. And then we've got the persistent slab or deep persistent slab, which is only near and above treeline and has been unlikely for the last couple weeks. You know, I also like to think critically and add additional avalanche problems if they make sense. So I'll throw wind slabs into the mix because Tuesday's windy afternoon transported a bunch of snow on north through northeast through east aspects above treeline, probably creating wind slabs that are now obscured by Wednesday's snowfall. So bottom line, it's complicated out there. And I really like this line from the CAIC's forecast discussion. Quote, while the new snow will likely amplify the backcountry stoke, yeah. The snowpack is once again experiencing rapid change. Slopes or places where you recreated recently during low danger are likely off limits for the time being. And that is a great segue into my current backcountry mindset. Remember last week when we talked about mindset and we were in a stepping out mindset? Well, we just had a bunch of rapid change happen to the mountains. So now we have to go to a stepping back mindset, at least for the next day or two. Our terrain choices, how we move through the terrain, it all has to factor in the new hazard that just got put on those slopes out there. After a few days, I might evolve into an assessment mindset going into this weekend because I want to start gathering more information about how the new snow is adjusting and jiving with our current snowpack. So bottom line, we had it good there for a little bit. We were teeing off in the Alpine, but now we're back to practicing patience for a little while. And remember, so far, patience has been paying off this winter. So clearly, it's worth the wait. Funk break! All right. Well, let's take a look at the weather forecast and what is coming in the next few days. Tomorrow, Friday, is looking to be quite a bit warmer than today with sunny skies. 
Then Saturday and Sunday look quite a bit cooler, but still quite sunny, with increasing clouds on Sunday afternoon and into the evening. Those clouds are bringing a little squall through the area on Monday with chances for a little bit of snowfall, but this storm system is giving us a glancing blow as it largely remains to the north of us. After Monday's little squall, we'll move into another period of stormy weather, with a huge storm system forecasted to just basically sit on the west from California to Colorado from Wednesday through at least Sunday of next week. And I don't want to get everyone too excited, but the snow totals look insane. As Joel Gratz with Open Snow often reminds us, even a week out, weather models can be finicky. So I will have to update you more on this storm next week when we have some more clarity on snow totals and what to expect. But man, I am excited to run the models all next week because it looks action-packed. And all I know is that this winter, well, it's been kicking ass, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop snowing anytime in the near future. But before I segue to the outro, I want to add one final message. This is President's Day weekend, folks, a three-day weekend in the middle of our winter when historically we've had a lot of really shitty human-involved avalanche accidents. And guess what? We are currently looking at a perfect storm of conditions. We just had a bunch of days of low danger where people got pretty accustomed to stepping out into big terrain. I mean, let's be real. The NAR was shredded hard last week. But now, we've got a huge storm slab sitting out there, and just in time for the weekend, we've got blue skies in the forecast. Mmm, fresh powder and blue skies, man, they sing like a siren song to the Jones Inn backcountry enthusiasts looking to make the most out of their three-day weekend. It's the perfect storm, and the only way for us to sail safely through this weekend is to really channel that stepping back mindset and to move cautiously out there. Things have changed in a huge way and we got to adapt accordingly. The folks at the Friends of the CAIC, they sent me some statistics to share in hopes that we can have a safe weekend in the backcountry this year. So here goes. For the last 10 years, this week, ending on February 17th, has had more humans get caught in avalanches than any other week of the season. In the last 10 years, 62 people have been caught in avalanches this week. And most of those happened over the course of this weekend. That captures almost 8% of all the avalanche incidents that happen in Colorado on an average year. They happen this week. Shit, man. If that history isn't enough to make you push the brakes, well, hopefully that giant storm we got sure should. It's my goal every year with this podcast. No deaths in the San Juan backcountry. And so far, we've gotten lucky a few times. But making it through to the end of the season, it's going to take a lot more than just luck. It's going to take patience and self-discipline. So, bottom line, all I'm saying is take it easy this weekend. There's some bad juju around this weekend, so I wouldn't plan any huge alpine missions. I would just take it easy and enjoy all the abundant powder that exists in mellower terrain below treeline. I mean, those alpine lines, they will always be there. And guess what? With more snow coming, they'll likely be even fatter when you ski them later in the season. All right. Well, that's it for this week's show. A nice short and sweet one. Thanks as always to my sponsors, Mountain Trip, the Peter Ingalls Avalanche Education Fund, and So Alpine. And thanks to you for listening. Hey, give those sponsors some support because they support me and I'm out here trying to make this show to support you. It all comes back around. And while I'm talking about support, thanks to those folks who kicked a little cash my way to help out with the sticker drive. 
I sent out about a hundred stickers last week and turns out that ain't cheap. <laughs> so thanks to April, Blaine and Andres for chipping in. Very kind of y'all. And if you all still want a sticker, send me an email to sanwansnowcast at gmail.com with your address in the message and I will hook you up. You know, I'm almost a year and a half into this whole podcast thing. And unfortunately, I've finally started to hear from some haters. And lately, I've been getting some nasty messages, luckily only from a few people, saying that I'm destroying the backcountry by giving away the names of a few ski lines and I'm just sharing too much information. And you know, that's a fair critique. I have shared the names of a few locally known ski lines. But I really don't think that that is a bad thing. So I'm going to continue to fight against the gatekeepers and I'm going to stick to my belief that more information leads to better informed decisions in the backcountry. Haters going to hate. And fortunately, I've received a lot more positive feedback than negative. But still, I just want to throw it out there. I am open to constructive feedback, but not personal attacks. So as always, let me know what you think by shooting me an email or finding me on Instagram. And to those of you who have been super supportive along the way, thank you so much. It really does mean a lot. Play safe this weekend, folks. And remember, it's just skiing. We really don't have anything to prove out there in the backcountry. There's nobody keeping score on how many lines you've skied this year, and you won't get any bonus points for how much vert you've racked up. You know, I saw an awesome meme the other day online that just said, never forget, you don't actually have to be good at any of your hobbies, which is something I often forget about backcountry skiing. It doesn't matter how good you are or how big you go. All that matters is that you come home safely and hopefully have some fun along the way. So take the pressure off yourself. It's just skiing and it's just snow. It's a hobby. So with that in mind, take care of each other, friends. And until next time, thanks snow. <laughs>